Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapist next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Renisha Roberts, who is a licensed mental health counselor and a bicultural psychotherapist. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a healthcare profession, asking questions you want the answers to, and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board-certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers, and my new favorite show is Alone. I'll talk about it more. Can you name one star or one actor slash? It's a reality show. So no. So no. Yes. Not even like a famous host. Okay, we'll get to it. All right. And I'm Sarah, an LPC from PA, (laughs) transplant from South Jersey. I am a cis hat white woman. My pronouns are she, her, and I have been very into Legos lately. Ooh, what Legos are you building? So I just finished a little... Uh, Christmas uh, elf workshop, <laughs> Santa's That's workshop, adorable. but Santa is not in it. Whoa, so okay. uh, it's a, it's an elf workshop, but I finished another Christmas one a couple weeks ago that had Santa. So I have like a little village now, which is really nice. Did you know that they sell Lego sets that have like, you know, a thousand pieces in them or so that you can build three different things in them. You just oh. have to take them apart and rebuild. It's very cool. Cody just built the house from my husband. He just built the house from home alone. Oh my goodness. Um, There's a little bar you can turn on it that has Michael Jordan rotate as he's riding (laughs) on the train. (laughs) Yeah. So if you get into Legos, it's really great self-care listeners know I'm real into puzzling. So yeah, Yeah. I have a puzzle going, but it's now covered with stuff because it was on our kitchen table and it's just covered. So yeah, they're meant to hang out for a while. I think I told you that I'm also doing a 3000 piece puzzle. Oh my goodness. No. (laughs) uh, 1990 Nicktoon characters. Wow. (laughs) That sounds both nostalgic and really hard. Yeah. There's too much green. So. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So the show alone is, uh, is uh, 10, 10 people go alone into the wilderness and live as long Mm -hmm. as they can. So there's no host because they're alone. They do all the filming themselves. Um, And it's, I don't know, being isolated right now, like because I'm not feeling well due to pregnancy uh, and like just, I don't know, it's, I would never do that, but I really appreciate that people can do that and like admire it and there's like bears everywhere because a lot of they go to vancouver island in british columbia i know Mm -hmm. a lot about this island now um because there's also these it's a history channel show which doesn't make sense um but it's you know the little infographics are like there's four thousand bears that live on this island you know like bears have three million receptors in their nose so they can smell anything um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's just really interesting 
uh, and the person who's who lasts the longest wins half a million dollars. So um, it's pretty cool. Not bad at all. That makes me think of this Hulu commercial I keep seeing where the phrase is, I don't know what they're advertising, but the phrase is, what is strong with you? Mm. And they keep showing people do like more and more risky things, like, but like activities. And the one, the, the final woman is like, she is, I guess, an adventure climber and she has her tent latched to the side of a cliff oh, gosh. and she just wakes up in her tent and she's like stretching and then she's ready for the day. And then she climbs up the, the side of the mountain and the phrase is just, what is strong with you? And I'm just thinking, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I mean, also, like, again, a, like I would yeah. never do that. I'm not, I know I'm not cut out for it, but like, Hey, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Um, as also- much as limited judgment as I can offer to folks who are into extreme sports, I, I think that I have, I get like, I get like empathetic stress responses because I see it and I'm like, that's terrifying. You know, you're, you're unsafe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading about uh, Everest this, like the other morning and like, oh, I can't even like, that's just so stressful. I would never be yeah. able to now. Yeah, I, I think during the pandemic, a whole lot more people were doing it. There was a picture circulating Reddit of it people. Was, that was it was an article written about this about that picture. Yep. Nice. Yeah. It um, all comes. It all comes around. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I also I finished reading the Parable of the Sower by uh, Octavia Butler. It's a I finished it a while ago. Um, mm-hmm. It's a science fiction science fiction I guess book. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's a little too real uh, as far as like, I think it was written in the seventies. It's like a little too real as like what things are happening today and like how society could collapse. Um, But the one main character is like, we need to learn all these survival skills. This is very important. And I'm like, you know what? I'm learning it by watching alone on Hulu. Um, Yeah. So I'm doing my, my best. If there's ever some sort of collapse, I can know how to put up a net in theory good work good work yep. i don't seen know that, what to do but... with the fish once you get it don't know yeah do they ever really show i mean you just like oh they cook show it and then do you debone Who knows? I, I don't even know i don't know i don't know what parts are edible that's oh, bad keep learning probably not helpful keep, yeah keep learning i'll get a book for christmas stick with vegetation for now yeah, that is that actually is some like if you know about the vegetation, you you have a leg up. There's lots of chanterelles, mm-hmm. which are like a big deal. Um, I don't what know. is a chanterelle? The mushroom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had been reading a book about mushrooms because one of my D and D characters is a mushroom wizard. Uh, so a mushroom druid. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, nice. So I was like, I need to I le- learn more about mushrooms. Beautiful explanation. Yep. How are your floors of your home? Uh, they're besides... pretty dirty because uh, I haven't okay. vacuumed in a while. But um, I I think in our last episode, we were looking for the word commune. Yes, a commune. Yes. So for those who heard the last episode, we were with, with uh, Kira Yakubev, we were trying to figure out how to what it would look like if a group of us all moved to Italy and established an English speaking commune where we relied on each other <laughs> um, for community. And 
which is very similar to the word commune. And I'm bummed that we didn't get that. But Joanna yeah. texted me later, three days later, I think, and said it was coming. <laughs> no, I think it was later. Oh, no, in the it was day. like the it next day. <laughs> I'm still, it was still, for also for those listening, I had also just gotten my booster. So I was yeah. not with it. I was with it enough to be like, that's the word. Uh-huh. Three, three days later. It was like five hours later. <laughs> I want to also say if you go to read Parable of the Sower, like trigger warning, there's a lot of very violent, there's a lot of violence in it. So just yeah. be wary. That tracks, that tracks, law and order disintegrates. Yes. Well, law and order is also <laughs> pretty violent. Anywho. <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned after the break for our history lesson. And now it's time for our lesson, formerly known as the history lesson. The lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in. Today we will be talking about anxiety throughout history. Our source for today is an article entitled A History of Anxiety from Hippocrates to DSM by Marc-Antoine Croak, MD. No trigger warning today. The Hippocratic, oh, starting with anxiety throughout history, the Hippocratic Corpus is a collection of Greek medical texts attributed to Hippocrates and his disciples from 460 BCE to 370 CE. The phobia of a man named Nicanor is described. Nicanor's affection when he went to a drinking party was fear of the flute girl. Oh, Whenever he oh, heard the voice, of the flute girl? <laughs> sorry. Whenever. <laughs> No, it's good. I got to get back into my voice. Whenever he heard the voice of the flute begin to play at a symposium, masses of terror rose up. He said that he could hardly bear it when it was night, but if he heard it in the daytime, he was not affected. Such symptoms persisted over a long period of time. In this text, a typical case of phobia is labeled as a medical disorder. The word anxiety derives from the Latin substantive angor and the corresponding verb ango or to constrict, which tracks because if you've ever felt anxiety, constriction is a great way to describe the physical sensation that you experience. A cognate word is angustus or narrow, which again, also. Interestingly, the same relationship between the idea of narrowness and anxiety is attested in the biblical book of Hebrews or Hebrew. Remind me. I feel like Job is his own book. But... No, it's no like oh oh Job is separate. Hebrew. Okay, no. My bad. I wrote that. Well, you know, kind of wrote it. In fact, Job expresses his anguish in his anguish in Job seven ten literally with the Hebrew expression quote the narrowness of my spirit. That's interesting. Maybe it wasn't the book Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. On to you. <laughs> Between classical antiquity and modern <laughs> psychology. Between classical antiquity and modern psychiatry, the concept of anxiety as an illness seems to have disappeared from written records. Patients with anxiety did exist, but they were diagnosed with other diagnostic terms. In 1621, Robert Burton published his treatise, 
The Anatomy of Melancholy, an encyclopedic review of the literature from antiquity up until the 17th century. Burton's work is generally quoted in the context of depression. However, Burton was also concerned with anxiety. At that time, the meaning of melancholia was not limited to depression, but encompassed anxiety as well. In the 18th century, medical authors published clinical descriptions of panic attacks, but they dot, did not label them as separate illnesses. Rather, symptoms of panic attacks were also rather symptoms of panic attacks were often considered to be symptoms of melancholia. Bossier de Sauvange from 1706 to 1767 published the first significant French medical nostalgia book. <laughs> Mental disorders belong to the eighth class of diseases and were subdivided into four orders. So listen for all of these illnesses that we, that listen. All right. Hallucinations, including vertigo, suffusion, diplopia, syringomus, which is, you know, an imaginary no noise or a perceived in the ear, hypochondrias, and some somnob somnambulism. The next section is morocitates, including pica, bulimia, polydipsia, antipathia, nostalgia, which I'm guessing had another meaning, <laughs> panophobia or panic terror, satiresis, nymphomania, tarantism or immoderate craving for dance, pause for dramatic effect, and hydrophobia. Next section is deliria, or paraphosine, i.e. the temporary, it's temporary and it's caused by a substance or a medical illness, which we do have in the DSM now. Amentia or universal delirium, melancholia, mania or universal delirium. Um, demonomania, which is melancholia attributed to the devil. The final section is folies anomalies or amnesia and agrophonia or insomnia. The disorder mainly, I hope y'all learned a lot, the disorder mainly concerned with anxiety was panophobia, which we heard included in... Morosites? Morosites? Morosites, yes. Or morosities. We don't know. Panophobia, defined as a panic terror, a fright that is experienced at night in the absence of any obvious cause. So the theme that we see thus far is that this is only being experienced at night and that there's no actual trigger for it. So again, I think a lot of us notice that our anxiety as the evening progresses and as we get ready for bed with you know less interruptions and less things to distract us, our anxiety can be worse. A lot of clients I know, I mean, generally across the board can report the stress with just sitting with their own thoughts without distractions. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure the other therapists on this call may agree. In the late 19th century and early 20th century, anxiety was a key component of various new diagnostic categories, from neurothenia to neuroses. George Miller Beard first described neurothenia at, in 1869. Its symptoms were manifold, ranging from general malaise, neurologic pains, hysteria, hypochondria, and symptoms of anxiety and chronic depression. Beard was the first successful American author in the field of psychiatry. Sigmund Freud and Emil Kaplan were his contemporaries, both born in 1856, or were contemporaries, not contemporaries appeared. Freud separated anxiety neuroses from neurothenia. He coined many of the terms that were used today for various anxiety disorders, even though these terms have by now largely shaken off their psychoanalytical connotations. In the DSM-1, 
uh, published in 1952, anxiety was almost synonymous with psychoneurotic disorders. The DSM-1 states that the chief characteristic of psychoneurotic disorders was, quote, anxiety, which may, might be directly felt and expressed or which might be unconsciously and automatically controlled by the utilization of various psychological defense mechanisms. In the DSM-2, the overarching category for anxious symptomology was called neuroses. It was stated that anxiety was the chief characteristic of, of the neuroses, which established anxiety and neurosis as quasi-synonymous. In the DSM-3 from 1980, the chapter of anxiety disorders included phobic disorders, anxiety states, which are subdivided into panic disorder, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, and obsessive compulsive disorder, otherwise known as OCD, uh, and post-traumatic stress disorder. The DSM-5 introduced a grouping of the anxiety disorders of DSM-4 into three spectra based on the sharing of common neurobiological, genetic, and psychological features. For the first time, the increasing knowledge about different brain circuits underlying stress, panic, obsessions, and compulsions played a role in classification. All right. Well, stay tuned after the break as we get started with our interview. Goodbye. For now. Welcome back. Renisha Roberts is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York. She's an established bicultural psychotherapist with over 12 years of clinical experience. She is an emotional wellness and relationship therapist who specializes in singles therapy. She's the founder and creator of Renisha Roberts Psychotherapy, her private practice, which opened in 2013. Prior to entering private practice, Renisha worked in various institutional settings with diverse populations. Her earlier experiences took her from the safe walls of a college counseling center to a lockdown unit of an inpatient psychiatric hospital. Here she saw firsthand the extreme spectrum of what mental illness really looks like. Renisha's clinical services include individual, group, and family therapies. She has served as a mentor to students and new therapists alike, and she is also a supervisor. Renisha is passionate about empowering, inspiring, and encouraging women. This passion has taken her to all corners of the world as an international humanitarian volunteer. There, she used her clinical skills and expertise to not only build emotionally, but physically as well. She continues to volunteer for an organization that provides free therapy to underprivileged young adults who would not be able to afford it otherwise, further helping to break down the stigmas of mental illness. When she is not in the virtual room, Renisha enjoys traveling the world. Some of her favorite places visited include New Zealand, Africa, and Venice, Italy. She is a self-proclaimed foodie who enjoys great cuisines and exploring different cultures and customs. Welcome. Thank you. So nice to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me. Guys. We are so to excited have to have you. We are both very excited about your list on assuming Joanna is too, about your list of places that are your favorite places in the world. You like hit both of ours perfectly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Big time. I've never and, even been and, to New Zealand. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and I am just generally so, so excited to hear about singles therapy too. I've been anticipating this and I can't wait for our listeners to hear too. Awesome. Um, all right, Renisha, can you tell us a little more about your work? Sure, absolutely. So I am a relationship therapist. Um, 
basically my specialty now, my niche has grown over the years, but I guess as time goes by, you kind of like, you know, tweak it here and tweak it there. And now it's relationship, but mainly um, singles. So singles therapy is what I like to call quote unquote a makeup therapy by me, but I have Googled and there are a couple other people out there who does the same thing in a, in a different manner. So singles for me is ideal and I work with a lot of clients who are divorced, who are separated, who are trying to navigate back into the couple's world, from the couple's world, into a single um, lifestyle again. And it's, it's hard sometimes if you've been married for 25 years, um, per se, and now you, you find yourself single, how do I navigate all of this online dating, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then I just see, I work with a lot of uh, clients as well who are just single by circumstance, you know, just can't seem to find the right one. And that leads to a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration for a lot of young women. And I help them again to just like navigate that world and to just make them know that, you know, this is this is a real thing your feelings are real your feelings are validated you know how is your self-esteem let's work on that let's build that up if it's an issue for you and really just help to empower them so my my team for this year was to encourage inspire and to um, just give that that knowledge for these women out there who are struggling because of their single status Thank you for that. I, that's something I've been very aware of this year that singles are, you know, they're kind of infantilized by family members. They're not given a lot of choices. They're just kind of, they are, it is presumed that they will kind of go with the flow and not make their own decisions. And also there's just pressure from, from the world in general, from media, from obviously from culture to have this attachment that is not completely necessary. I love that you provide that. Yes, it is. I find that, um, like, for example, with the holiday season, this is one of the most stressful season for singles. It's the one of the most, the loneliest season for single. And of course, you're around your family members and friends and everyone is with their, you know, their, their husbands and their loved ones and their kids. And they're like, you know, why are you still single? You're so pretty. What's wrong? And, you know, they just put them in a place where it's, it's like the back is against the wall, kind of. They just don't understand that it's not as easy as it looks. There's not a, there's not a truckload of single eligible bachelors just every day on just passing by. You have to like select one. The process has changed so much from our parents' generation that it's not that easy to navigate anymore. So there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame sometimes that comes from their family members. And especially around this time where, you know, everybody wants to cuddle, it's winter. And, you know, they're just trying to get through the season pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how also COVID affected that as far as like being able to go out and like meet other people. I'm sure that was a huge obstacle. Yeah, it has been. A lot of my clients are still going through COVID fatigue. I mean, we're still in a pandemic, to be honest. So they literally are still going through COVID fatigue. And I think a lot of their anxiety, like a lot of us um, in general, happened and came over during this year and a half, almost two years of this pandemic. And for some of them who were okay being single, 
suddenly realize that I'm not okay being single. It's been 18 months and I want to be with someone, but I don't have that opportunity right now to really go out as I would used to and meet people. So it's a real struggle right now for them. Do you feel like the pandemic has affected your job day to day? I think it has, but for me, it's a positive um, effect, unfortunately, right? I think a lot of businesses <laughs> has boomed um, throughout this pandemic. And I think our field as therapists has, uh, has actually also um, gained that um, during the pandemic. So I used to have office space in the city and it's really amazing, trendy location in, in Queens called Astoria, like beautiful. And the pandemic shut that down and now I'm completely 100% virtual and I intend to stay as a virtual therapist. But what I've found is I have clients now from all over the state of New York, which before the pandemic, there was no way nobody's going to travel to Manhattan to see me. There's no way. So it, it just being a virtual therapist and just using, you know, all of the, the gadgets and stuff that we have, like videos and stuff like that, it has been a game changer, but definitely one in a better way, a positive way, at least for myself. I know a lot of therapists wanted to go back into the office, but sitting on my couch, you guys, and doing this from my home, oh my gosh, not, I don't know. New York is very congested. Just traveling on the train it took me over an hour. I just get dressed and I come sit in my office and I'm, I'm done for the day. It's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. And my clients love it too, because I can see them at work or I can see them at home or, you know, taking a walk sometimes around the neighborhood, I can see them. So they love it as well. It works for both of us. That's great. It, it's funny, Renisha, because we've talked to so many therapists who are saying similar, like, I know there are some that are okay with in person, but we have yet to find. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think, I think like, generally, yeah, absolutely. They're going to be some clients that really value that space. And maybe, yeah. you know, like you said, meeting from work or home is not an option. But so many people are just so grateful. And it's just amazing that we can all benefit. I mean, what, what a cool time to be a therapist. Yeah. If I, may. I, I think we have definitely been able to reach a lot of individuals that would not have been able to be reached before. Um, even those that live in like rural areas in different parts of the country, they no, they no longer have to worry about that. There's no more blockage for doing therapy or coming to therapy or going to therapy, you can do it now from your home. So I think it's really opened up that, that, that door for a lot of us in, again, in a positive way. I agree. All right. Tell us a little bit about how you think your personality is represented in your work. Okay. So I have a bigger than life personality. That's how I, I like to put it. I mean, right now I'm calm, cool as the morning. <laughs> I'm, after, um, I'm an afternoon person. So I start my, 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 my service, my sessions, I, I should say, from noon till. So I think my last client probably would come in around seven. So the mornings are me just preparing myself to just go into my office, right? And um. I have a large personality. I need to always make sure that I am up enough where whatever my clients are coming in with, that I can try to balance that off. So, you know, as, as, as therapists, we kind of tend to leave our own stuff at the door. 
we check that stuff outside. And I, I do the same thing too, but I make sure that it's a space that we can laugh if we need to. We laugh a lot, you know, if the, the moment comes when we need to be sad and we can have that space for that as well. But I, I have this upbeat, vibrant personality. And I think it's, it's bigger than life, but it's who I am. Because I, I, I don't think that as a therapist, we can leave certain aspects at the door. It just doesn't work. So I remember in, in grad school, when they were talking about a therapist, I guess in the earlier you know, times of being, excuse me, Therapists back when, when we were just doing this, maybe back, back in the 60s, when we were told mm -hmm. you had to be a blank slate. You, you came into the room with no emotions. And I don't know how they did therapy back then in that, you know, kind of setting, but I knew for sure that that wouldn't work for me. You know, I, I talk a lot. I laugh a lot. I'm lighthearted. I'm relaxed. I'm laid back. And, you know, my, my personality shines. And I think the clients that I see, they match my personality. They have to match it because otherwise I won't work for them and they won't work for me. So personality is very important. And I say, bring your own unique personality to the therapist room all the time and every time because it, it, it works for our clients. They want to be with us because of how we are towards them as well. So it, it works for me. Bigger than life, bigger than life. <laughs> meeting someone where they're at is so important and letting them come in and not feel like they're in like another meeting with a professional who's going to judge them or make them feel bad about being like being maybe a little extra and being like over the top at times because we need that. I'm, I'm curious, you have you have bicultural therapists as your brand as well. So how does that kind of come into the personality representation? It comes into it. It works for me. Um, I am from the Caribbean. I'm a Caribbean girl at heart. So, um, okay. So in being from a, okay, black, I'm African-American or African-Caribbean, I should say, right? So mm -hmm. I'm a black woman in America. And um, a lot of my clients are women of color. Women of color um, tend to feel that they're, they're in a safer space if they're in therapy with someone that represents who they are. And um, it's, it, it's very important. It's very important for us, for me, for them as well, to feel that safe space and to know that there are therapists out there who does represent them. I am from a, a Caribbean background where we don't even do therapy. It's not even a thing that we do. It's like, what is that? I'm in a feel that is so against like my normal cultural it's, it's like what 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 kind of therapist are you what do you say you are it's such a weird thing for them because we just don't do that so when I when I have clients who are from Jamaica or Trinidad and Tobago and they're like oh my god you're from Grenada I'm like yes and they just it's like wow yes now I can really just speak and if I want to use my accent even better you know we don't have to hide our accents we can just be real in the room so for a lot of my clients it just resonates with them and I again I'm able to be my complete self with them as well because there might be a Caribbean phrase that I want to use to them or they want to use to me and they'll know she understands what I'm talking about and I'm the same way with them so it does it does work it I think it's it's unique I don't know a lot of therapists with a Caribbean background I'm sure there are some but I don't know for sure um, any percentages I know that I'm one of the only ones that I've came across thus far and then just being a woman of color and holding that space for other women of color 
is also very, very important in this field as, as a therapist. Yeah, I mean, we, we've heard and we've seen the demands for therapists of color, especially since the 2020 uprisings and how all the, this availability is so important. And now folks feel empowered to actually ask, I want someone who looks like me and I'm okay feeling comfortable asking that. Like what a, what a joy that is to offer that to somebody. You know, it's, it's amazing that you said that because before we were kind of embarrassed to ask, I want to see a black female therapist. Mm-hmm. People wouldn't say that even like five years ago. And now, like I said, we were empowered to be like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's and when I get my, my referrals from my, my, my surplus from the groups that I'm in, it's blotted out nice and big. We're looking for a female therapist, you know, African-American and it's like, wow, or Asian-American. And it's, it's awesome. It's great. There's nothing wrong with it, you know? So it's opened up another door again. I guess we just, we just continue to be evolving. And I like that we are I like the, the trajectory that we're going on as, as, as therapists. It's, it's really cool. It's working for a lot of our clients and we're serving I want to say almost everyone, I would hope by this point, we're serving just about every, you know, every culture, every group, hopefully, you know, that's out there. And if not, I feel like we're working towards that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I love it so much. I I could talk about this for an hour. (laughs) Um, Go ahead. What is your favorite thing about being a therapist? And what is your least favorite thing about being a therapist? My favorite thing is... um, well, first of all, you know, working with the clients that I get to work with, the opportunity to work with people who want to work with me and have that opportunity to actually change lives and actually that opportunity to help them to be the best version is what I like to say of who they are, right? So we we kind of want to reinvent ourselves a little bit, but, you know, that takes a long time. So we want to, you know, start very slow with our baby steps and start changing the way that we, we, we think about certain things and certain um, concepts, right? So if I'm working with, like, you know, anxiety or, or depression, just looking at it from a different perspective and working with individuals who actually want to do the work. That's my biggest thing because... We can talk all day long, but if you don't want to do that work, if you don't want to do that hard work, that change process, it's not going to work for you. So when I'm with these clients who are enthusiastic about therapy and we're talking about different coping skills and coping mechanisms that they can use and change and try, and they actually go home and actually do it and see whether it works or not. And if it works and they love it and they see it, oh my gosh, all I need to do is this one thing or this two thing. And I can actually change so much about myself. So I love the change process, but I love working with individuals who are enthusiastic about really wanting to change when they come, they come through the virtual room and they, they're seeking therapy. I, and, I, and then I think my worst part about being a therapist it's probably maybe the early phases of being, being a therapist where we don't know if we're a good fit yet. We don't know if they can trust me yet. And I think that's, I sit there like, okay, I hope I'm saying the right things and doing the right thing that that person feels like they can, they can trust me with their stuff. You know, so I think the early phases for me is the, the, most, the most difficult. 
because we don't know yet. It might be, you know, six sessions in before they realize, oh, we're not a good fit or, you know, and it, 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 it does happen. It does happen. So I think just those first couple of sessions for me is, I don't think I like that. It, it gives me anxiety a little bit, I guess, as I sit there and we're having these discussions, but not really fully vested yet until they really know for sure. Yeah, I can work with her and I can trust her with my stuff. Yeah, I, I feel similar with folks that are really taking a risk to come in. Like I want to like sell it well and I want to perform well. I know it, I know that like my skills will back it up and my knowledge will back it up. But like you, I mean, like you said, you're servicing women that the system has been very oppressive to in the past. So you want to like be a good representation and not further that, but also you really want to like make it seem that not only it's safe, but it's extra, it's helpful too. I get that. Yeah. Definitely. So what drew you into being a therapist? So this is a very funny story. <laughs> so um, many years ago, like 20 years ago, I'll say it's a long time ago, I um, was going through, going through a divorce and I myself was seeking therapy. And um, I remember one of, my, one of my coworkers back then, I was not anywhere near this field or even thinking about this field, gave me a referral um, from a therapist that he used, from seen for years. And, you know, she was amazing according to him. And I said, okay, fine, I'll, you know, I was feeling very anxious. I had all of these issues and, you know, questions that I had inside of me that I wanted to, you know, unpack. And I went to see this particular person and she pretty much just, dismissed my symptoms like no you're okay you know that's just normal for someone's going through a divorce don't worry about it and I left there feeling like but I don't feel okay I don't feel okay at all but this expert this professional is telling me that I am so I must be right so of course you know I went I went home and I you know I dealt with it I didn't have a choice but to deal with it so I re I I remember when I was thinking about what profession that I wanted to be in, I mean, I've always been that person who always gave advice and people came to and, you know, would give like sound advice and, you know, it was, but I never thought about it as a career move. But when I was thinking about, honestly, now what field do I want to be? What lasting field do I want to be in? A friend of mine told me, you know, why don't you be a therapist? And I'm like, can I really, you know, can this really be like a, a, a full-time job, a full-time career? I just didn't think that that it was. It just, I mean, again, I was like 15, 20 years ago, right? So my mindset was completely different. I wasn't in the space that I'm in, wasn't even aware. And she's like, yeah. So I, I looked into it further and I said, you know what? I'm going to try this. And for somewhere in my brain, my, 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 I remembered my experience, I was like, that wasn't a good, a good experience at all. I said, if, I, if I'm going to go into this field, I want to make sure that I am not going to be that kind of therapist to, to be, to what I thought, again, was dismissive and not supportive of my client's symptoms and feelings. And even if it is and was the norm that someone feels when they're going through a divorce, I just felt that it was, the way that she handled it, it just wasn't handled correct. I left there feeling like, but I don't feel okay. I don't feel okay at all. I know these feelings that I'm feeling are real and it wasn't addressed. 
So I wanted a space where I knew that if I was going to go into this field, that it was it's going to be a situation where I was going to address my clients and make sure that their feelings was made to feel validated at, at least. So it's like I came into this field in a negative way, I say sometimes, but my experience, I guess, is what made me come into this field. I mean, I always, like I said, I've always been the kind of person anyway to give advice and counsel, but never thought, not, never thought of it as being something where I could actually be a career. So that was my eye opener very, very early, again, 20 years ago, um, that made me think about um, even becoming a therapist and re representing women in that way. I'm sorry you had that experience. I mean, it's hard because we're all about validation and it's, it's hard to hear that you had that experience, but it's so amazing that you were able to turn it around. Yeah, I, just, I need to make sure that other women didn't go through what I went through at that time in my life. Yeah. I think that's a nice message too for therapists in general that a lot of us are in this field. We've obviously been in therapy ourselves and we have likely had at least one bad experience and mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a bummer to say and yeah we're all nodding in agreement that this is <laughs> happening but I mean but that was at such a pivotal time in your life that you really needed something and it's incredible that you it resulted in you turning around and being like fully empowered to do something for other people I hope that you were able to get better support at that time it was actually hard for me to find, um, well, anyone, first of all, who, what, what I now, you know, do as singles therapy at the time, um, I just kind of like worked through it with my girlfriends, <laughs> kind of worked through it with friends and was able to, um, you know, come out on the other side okay. But again, for, for being a singles therapist, I think that's, that's what really was in my heart. I really want that space for people who are going through this. And, you know, we know it is anxiety. It's a form of anxiety, but it's different. It's different from normal. It's just different. It was different for me when I was going through it. And just knowing that if someone is, 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 is telling me what they're going through and they know that, oh my gosh, you're divorced you know exactly what I'm talking about. What, what was that? How is that for you? How was that for you? I can, I can share my experience with them as well. So it gives me that commonality for women who are coming in with very specific kind of anxiety. Fantastic. Um, what, do, what are most people's reactions when you tell them that you're a therapist? And what would you like them to react as? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm laughing because I... I don't tell people I'm a therapist for a while. <laughs> I listen to what they have to say before, you know, of course, if they ask, you know, I kind of have to tell them right away, but I don't, you know, indulge that right away. I'm just going to like take a step back because I know for me, oftentimes when I've said what I do, people are impressed for the most part. And they're like, oh my gosh, wow, that's a great feel. The most people I don't think have actually met 
in their day-to-day -day life of psychotherapists. So it's one of those still unique kind of fields, you know, for a lot of people. They're generally surprised because I don't know what a therapist looks like to most people, but I think I don't look like a therapist. I don't know what that means, but um, they generally are surprised, but not in a negative way. And um, especially with the pandemic, they're like, oh my gosh, you must be really busy. I'm like, yeah, I am, you know, really. So it kind of, I think right now with the space where mental health is just being blown up and we're so visible that people are, it's not a negative thing anymore. It's like, oh my gosh, that's great. You must be doing good work. You must be busy. You know, the most negative thing that I don't like about it is there, well, people would be like, you're not analyzing me, are you? <laughs> just like. I don't have time for that right now. We're at a regular <laughs> party. I love that. And someone would be like, you're not analyzing me. Especially if it's a man, right? Trying to hit on me. I'd be like, uh, that's not even, I'm not even wearing that hat right now. I'm just Renisha. I'm just having fun. I'm having a cocktail. That's the last thing on my mind. But people tend to think that you're analyzing them for some strange reason or not so strange reason, I guess. So that to me is, is the least being judged mm -hmm. in that way. Because I'm not analyzing you at all. I'm just... Having fun. Or, or you else. weren't until they asked that. Uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Should I be? Well, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. What's wrong with yeah, exactly. What's wrong that you think I'm analyzing you right now? <laughs> going on? You're right about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but overall, you know, I get um positive, positive comments and positive um feedback for most people. It's a very right. interesting field. And it is, it is actually, it is. It is, and it's changing. Like the responses, I, I don't know if you noticed it, Rainey, sure, that the responses from people are changing. Like, especially like since 2020, it's been more like, oh, thank you. Like, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't mind. Um, all right, so let's talk identity a little bit. You know, we've talked about the Caribbean background. We've talked about how some you know, folks in your circle can be maybe like therapy is not really practiced from where you're talking about. How does your identity help or hinder your practice? I think it, um, it helps. It helps because I feel, um, again, that if people are coming in to see a person of color, um, that in itself for a lot of people is just softening for them. They're like, okay, I can be myself, whatever that means, right? I can be myself. I think that people like the fact that, well, I like the fact that I have an accent. Because a lot of people come into my practice from other parts of the world and they have an accent and they feel sometimes stigmatized. They, they, it can hurt their self-esteem. Um, and they know that I have an accent too. And that helps them to open up as well. You know, so being from a different part of the world as well, the whole immigration process, that's the whole part. That's the whole thing. Being outside of, of America and growing up outside of America is a whole a thing that if you haven't lived outside of America, you don't understand what it means to come to America to live. It's a it's this whole own jar in its own self. It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing just being from the Caribbean, being a black woman, being from outside of America, having an accent. Those are things that I thought was gonna be 
well, it did when I was growing up, right? Used against me and bullied. I was bullied for, for those things. And now all of those things are working in my favor. All of those things are helping me to open up the door for a lot of other people to come in and be like, no, it's okay. Accents are welcome here. It's all good, you know? You can be your, 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 your real self no matter where you come from, you know? And having traveled all over the world and meeting all just amazing people and just knowing that their differences is what's make them unique. And I love them because I know that I'm unique, you know? So it's, it's for me, it's been a game changer. It definitely has been a, a, a positive for me. It, it really has been and thus far. <laughs> Hopefully to continue in the future. That's a, that's amazing. And, and you brought up something obviously that I haven't even thought about is this like this perception of America, you know, when you are living outside of the country and then the process of coming here and emigrating here and then the process of acclimating and, you know, how much you're able to do that or allowed to do that by the populace. That's like what an experience that you only know about if you're in it. And it's, it's not an easy, the immigrant experience is not an easy experience, especially when you come to this country as a young person, which I did, um, early teens, a tween, I guess is the word for that. It's hard because you get picked on, you get bullied for everything that is different about you in America. And it's, it's a hard experience. It leaves a lot of scars for a lot of people. A lot of trauma, as we know, happens in like middle school and high school, you've been bullied. A lot of trauma develops there. And coming in, I mean, it's naturally happening to Americans. So imagine coming in from a, a different country and being here and being bullied for all of the things that makes you different and stand out. Meanwhile, all you want to do is blend in. You don't want to, you want to literally blend in, not stand out. And you're bullied and a lot of trauma takes place in those years. And immigrant or non-immigrant, because we just know that those, that those that childhood years is very, very um, traumatic for a lot, a, lot, a lot of people. So just being able to have a space where they can talk about that. You know, I was bullied because I had an accent. You know, I was bullied because I was the only person of color in my class. I mean, having that space to talk about that is very powerful. It feels powerful sitting here and hearing yeah. you talk about it too. It's so incredible. I, I, again, like speaking very meta, it's just such a nice gift to give somebody that, that an accent is normal and that, you know, it's not something to pack away. It's just very nice. Very nice. I, I feel like a lot of immigrants, we just feel that we're not accepted because, you know, to, to look at us, that opening up our mouth is, is fine and it's great. Right. And then you start speaking and people are like, oh, where I mean, sometimes it could be curiosity. Oh, where are you from? And it can definitely strike a conversation up. But again, when you're coming in at a younger age, it's, it's hard. As an adult, I think it's a little bit easier. People are more accepting, but children are not. Young adults are not. It's, it's so much harder to navigate. And again, all you want to do is just blend in. You don't want to stand out at all. But you just do in your... Just, naturally you do because you can't hide an accent at 13 I'm, i've been here from the age of 12 and i still have an accent you guys it's not going anywhere and i love it because it's, it's, it makes me different it makes me unique you know so i it took me a while to embrace that though 
So I know other immigrants have felt the same way. You know, you think that you're the only person going through experiences until you, you start speaking to other people like, oh my God, you felt the same way too? Yes, I did. And it normalizes that for them. So that's the space that I hold for a lot of immigrants and women of color, because it is very traumatic for a young person to have to go through that. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, thank you for giving us like a, a peek into that. And I, I think Joanna and I are just so lucky to be able to have interviewed a lot of immigrant therapists on this show too. It's it's just so neat getting that perspective. And it's and it's all been it's all been women. I, I love that we are able to, you know, learn and also like amplify that just for any anybody listening and anybody who is listening that also doesn't get it and maybe like needs to get on the train to getting it. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Switching, switching gears a little bit. How do you approach self-care? <laughs> self-care, good old self-care. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. So um, I think like for a lot of individuals, therapists, clients, the pandemic again has been, oh my gosh, and I don't want to use this word blessing in disguise, but kind of is for a lot of us because it has been a reset for a lot of us and myself included. So it has given me the time to take a step back and literally I'm home. So there's no more traveling. There's no more commuting. I've saved myself at least three hours a day just in commuting alone. Oh my God. So it has given us that time to reprioritize. I know I have um, over the last 18 months and self-care, which was always a struggle for me. And sometimes it, it, it still can be just depending on my, my load for the day. And I think the mornings again is, is for me to just do my routine. So I carve out the mornings for my rituals my prayers, my meditation, my readings. That's all about me before I head into my early afternoon days to see my clients. So um, I also have more time on the weekends as well to do the things that I like to do. So I never really liked cooking so much, but because of the pandemic again, I tried a lot of new recipes, things I had never had time to do. So I cook a lot more because I don't go out as much anymore. So I make these great gourmet-esque type styles of recipes that I, I again, have more time because I love, like I said, I'm a, I'm a foodie. So I love to try new cuisines, but I haven't traveled to try anything new. So I, I do it at home. I do it at home. So my, my self-care has been more normalized. It's more of a routine now than it has ever been. So I do appreciate that. That's, I'm glad you said all that, just like kind of like amplifying what was already working for you. That's been a theme in my therapy as well. It's not just about making time for like bubble baths and you know being able to take walks. It's also about caring for yourself when you're in a stressful triggering situation and how you respond to yourself. That's also self-care. So the fact that you were like, I don't love cooking, but I don't get to travel now. So I'm just going to try to like find peace within this and find joy within this. That's, I dig it. That's so good. <laughs> it's, been, it's, it's been a blessing, as I say, to just have extra, me, I've called it extra time to take care of myself mm-hmm. even more. And I do, I, I love it. I enjoy Enjoy having that additional time in the mornings. There's no rush to go anywhere. So I just 
do me. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I did enjoy somewhat commuting just cause like, oh, I can listen to my podcast, but like now that I don't have to do it, I'm like, yeah, I'm not gonna do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No. Yeah, because I think for a while I was taking like an hour long bus ride both ways, which like, again, it was nice in the morning because no one was on the bus, you know, like I could collect myself, but like now I can just collect myself on my couch and then walk upstairs, you know, (laughs) like. Yeah, like how much of that was just like put in us that we need this time to reprocess? No, you can take a walk around the living room. You can take a walk around the block. You do not need (laughs) yeah yeah wild all right Renisha what is a guilty pleasure of yours (laughs) a guilty pleasure something you've never shared with anyone that you're now going to share with us no I'm kidding (laughs) never shared with anyone no it can totally be something you've shared with other people you don't have to (laughs) disclose to us we're strangers essentially Shift with the whole audience. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, like for me, guilty pleasures. I don't know if I I do anything that I feel guilty about because I'm the kind of person if I want ice cream, I'm gonna have ice cream. I'm not gonna feel bad about it. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't mm-hmm. know if I have a something that I I do that I, I would be embarrassed about if I want to binge watch. Netflix, I feel like I'm entitled to binge watch Netflix. I don't need to have a reason or an excuse for any of those quote unquote, I don't know, bad things. Oh no. Mm-hmm. That's it's, it's funny that's a hard one for me because I just I do what I like. I do what I like yeah. and right. And there's like there's no excuse. I feel like I'm entitled to have Hagen does if I want to. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever, <laughs> you know, I, I feel okay with that. I, I, I really do. So I don't think I have any one thing per se that I do and I feel guilty about it. Oh my gosh, if, if people only knew, what would they think, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. I, live, I live my life. I don't care. I live my life and I'm going to enjoy all of those guilty things that if I wanted to, I, 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 I will. Period. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna ask that. <laughs> I think every time we ask this question, Joanna, like we we need to take this out or like yeah, rephrase yeah, it. Yeah, because <laughs> I feel like I do feel like therapists, especially, are like I have no shame in anything that I do. Like, and it, yeah, and it's like such a gendered experience too that women need to feel guilty about like seeking out pleasure. Like, it's such nonsense. Yeah, and, <laughs> I mean, like the things that I've said, I'm guilty about. I still do. Like, I don't really care. You know, like nothing stops me. <laughs> yeah, there has been no trial. We are not guilty. There is no guilt and shame at all. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy life. Yeah, but it's a quote, a quote for the episode though. I just I do what I like. I love it. I love <laughs> so it. Good. Yes, I love it. Why oh, not? So good. Too many restrictions. Why not? I, oh, I agree. Uh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, do right. like do, yeah. Ugh. Live, live, live. Yes. Live. Binge yes. watch. Yes. Do it. <laughs> it's okay. Love it. Yes. Yes. What is your favorite breakfast? This is one of my favorite questions. Oh, yes. 
a question and I can answer because again, I love food. So my, <laughs> right, my favorite breakfast is I don't get to have pancakes often because they take a while to make. And I'm, again, I'm inside, so I'm not going out as often. So my favorite breakfast would be pancakes with turkey bacon, of course, um, and omelet. But it has to be like mushrooms and tomatoes and, um, of course, cheese, because I want my cheesy omelet. Everything that is I there, like. Is there an omelet without cheese? I, like what? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? <laughs> So a big old fat omelet with my pancakes and my side of turkey bacon. And I got to have like some potatoes on the side and hot cup of coffee. I got to have my coffee and a mimosa. Oh. Because why not? Beautiful. Thank God I don't get to have that breakfast often. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like once a month, I'll treat myself to it. But that is like my ideal breakfast spread. If I was to enjoy breakfast on a day-to-day, because I, you know, breakfast nowadays is a cup of coffee and maybe a bagel or some oatmeal. But that would be my ideal breakfast. Just warm and fuzzy, amazing comfort food, but delicious. And just enjoy it sounds like this is from like the kitchen of Renisha. Oh. This is not like at a brunch spot. This is something you've put together. <laughs> <laughs> brunch is absolutely my favorite meal. So I love brunch. I love mm-hmm. brunch food and everything about it. And I, I, yeah, like noonish, 11ish is when I'm probably eating anyway. So yeah, definitely mm-hmm. my favorite brunch. Brunch when I get recipes for you know, like French, like um, French toast and different kind of um, pancakes and amazing omelets. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a brunch girl. <laughs> Beautiful. Amazing. All right. Are there any questions you would like to ask us? Yeah, I do. So I, I was turned on to this particular show by one of my really good colleagues. You guys have interviewed her. I won't name her name mm-hmm. right now. And I started to listen. I'm like, you know, this is just amazing. This is such a, a, a great, amazing podcast, a great space, not only for therapists, but just for anyone who wants to know more about therapists. Because we are literally next door, the therapist next door. We're literally like men and women who have normal, regular lives like everyone else out there. We're just therapists. It's, it's all good. That's just our, our career. So my question is, how did you guys, how did the two of you come up with this and why? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That, that's um, very, that's so kind. I'm like, yeah, I'm like overwhelmed with gratitude right now. That's <laughs> the nicest thing ever. Um, and we will meet you with a much less impassioned response. And but Joanna texted me one day and said, do you want to start a podcast? And I said, yes. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and Sarah was, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do it about. And Sarah was like, let's interview people. And I was like, perfect. So but we, wow. well, more background, more background. We both were in pretty, pretty, you know, challenging work situations at the beginning of the pandemic. And we were, you know, both on different levels heading towards pretty significant burnout. And we were not being our time and us were not being appreciated. And we were like, this is, you know, we're contributing to like the dehumanization of 
mental health care workers, which is something we're that doesn't align with our values. So how can we a do better for ourselves and b help others do better for themselves? And that was that was the that was the goal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, a lot of thanks. fun. I mean, it's so much fun to to talk to people I would never get to talk to otherwise. But I, I love the way it just normalizes therapists. You know, I don't know what the clients think we are or who we are outside of the therapy suite, but we're just regular girls, just regular guys just living, you know, and it's just nice to see that perspective and hear that perspective. It, it really is. It really yeah, is. Yeah, I, I love having I, some of my clients also listen to, which me, which is like, which is like fun. Yes. And it's, it's so cool having that support, but it's also like, okay, you're seeing another side of me. How okay with that am I? But I do want you to know that I'm a person. I want you to know that I have like the reason I'm able to provide the support is because I've had experiences and I've had, yeah. you know, a life. So yeah, yeah. it is wild <laughs> indeed. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a good space for us as therapists as well. Very oh, great. Yeah. 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 Great space. Well, I'm glad that your unnamed colleague friend referred us because we also enjoyed that time with that person as well. And they also have been referring people nonstop. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just something that I, I just thought that oh my gosh, I would love to be a guest. I just love it. Just it's just friendly. It's warm. It's laid back. It's my personality. Perfect. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yes. That's, we're yeah. so happy to hear that. That's yeah. incredible. It's exactly what we want to offer. So it's a yeah. target, target hit. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Are we ready for our last question? <gasps> yes. Okay. All right. So this is kind of related to something we were talking about. Let's like imagine that we are still commuting to work with this question. Okay. Boo. I know. It's very strange that I said that. Uh, you are granted the power <laughs> of flight, but you can only fly to work. Or you're granted the power of invisibility, but you can only use it once a month. <clears throat> I would prefer the power of invisibility. <laughs> Only because I've commuted to work, so I know what that's like. I've done it. I know what that's like. Um... I think I would love to be the fly on the wall in so many places, boardrooms, people's homes, everywhere, just to really get a sense of who people are. Because when people are not aware that they've been looked at and studied, they're literally in their perfect element and their own self. <laughs> I would just love to be invisible and be a fly on the wall, literally, in a lot of different scenarios. Invisibility, for sure. Oh. <laughs> for me. Definitely. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I'm hesitant to be invisibility because I am like a heavy breather and walker. <laughs> so I wouldn't be invisible. Like, people would know I was there. Like, I am I'm reprimanded quite frequently for walking, like stomping. <laughs> <laughs> um, also oh so i have a p.o box in the town over so i would just like take the long way to get to quote work <laughs> i would just I would, so i would choose flying and i would just take like the longest way possible <laughs> and i would just fly to my ups p.o box 
funny. Sarah, I think I have the opposite you? problem of you. Um, that sometimes when I enter a room, I have to announce myself because I'm so quiet <laughs> that I will scare people. Like I, I used to have to like, when I, you know, like went into the chart room, like make sure my presence was known mm-hmm. because I'm just so <laughs> quiet, I guess, which is weird. Cause I'm not a quiet person, but like, if I'm doing my own thing. I'm very silent. <laughs> so, I don't know, I guess. Um, so I have been invisible before, I guess. <laughs> um, is what I'm saying. Uh, anyway. This is getting deeper than we yeah, thought it was. it's like a little too much now. Um, so I guess flying. <laughs> um, if I was still commuting to work, it would be flying. Um, oh, my God. But yeah, so I mean, I it's, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> beautiful, beautifully done. Maybe that's my guilty pleasure is, or my guilty thing that I do is that I'm too quiet. But what is your secret shame? I'm invisible. <laughs> People I encounter. I mean, I it's it goes deeper. So <laughs> Someone, I'll just oh my say, gosh, here, beautiful. Ready? Ready? On mm-hmm. the, I'm putting mm-hmm. it out. Uh, someone has sat on me before in a meeting, a treatment team meeting, because they didn't see me sitting there in the chair. <laughs> no way. This is when I was an intern, yeah. and then I decided to get a job at the same hospital. <laughs> wow. And it didn't stop there. Oh, my God. For the love of God. <laughs> Woo, that could be an episode of Unpacking That, Joanna. Our- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or an in an intern at yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean the whole and thing a, like, and a young oh, female therapist I can't <laughs> great great thank well Renisha thank you so much we had a blast with you thank you for coming on do you have anything you'd like to plug website social media or anything or any resources you'd like the listeners to know about Oh my gosh. Thank you guys for having me. This has been so much fun. (laughs) The laugh is on. I love it. I love it. Just be able to laugh in any kind of space. Um, For me, um, yes, I have my website. It's my full name, RenishaRobertsTherapy.com. I am on social media, Renisha Roberts, psychotherapist. Um, On Instagram, I am the singles therapist. On TikTok, I'm also singles therapist. Um, On these social media fronts and um, resources. Yeah, I am out there on social media. Hopefully you guys can find me. as far as there is one particular resource, a book that I like to recommend to clients who are struggling in relationships right now and not sure how to get out and um, or not sure why they're struggling. And it's called Mr. Unavailable and the Fallback Girl. And it's by an artist called Natalie Liu. And she's actually a British woman. But she hits, she hits it on the nail for a lot of women who are in toxic relationships or what I like to say, relationships that have already been expired, but the person in it still trying to hold on to it. It's an excellent, excellent resource for just women out there who are just struggling with letting go or not, not, not sure whether they can or should let go. And it's a book that I give a lot of my clients who are coming in, depending on what they're coming in for, but it's, it's helped, it's helped me in the past. And, um, 
it resonates, resonates with a lot of women out there who are going through their own struggle and trauma based on relationships. Yeah, that title took me right back to age 25. <laughs> Thank you. That is like absolutely the way I would describe that. Yeah, that <laughs> part of my life. We will put that on our website. Nice. Yes, yes. And yeah. Yeah, thank cool. you guys for having me. It's yeah, been absolutely. What a pleasure. Awesome. It's been Definitely. great. So be- best of luck. We are so happy that you're able to contribute to our therapist community. We're happy to be a part of a community that you're in and we will keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Have a great one. Thanks. Right, take care. You Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe slash rate slash review us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at TNDPod, on Twitter at TherapistNDPod, all one word, or visit our website, TNDPodcast.com. Uh, we've got a Patreon. I always say this. Um, it's got a lot of cool stuff. Head on over to it. Uh, uh, Patreon.com slash TND podcast. If you'd also like to send us an email, um, if you want to be interviewed, if you just have a comment, you can email us at therapists next door at gmail.com. That's therapist plural next door at gmail.com. Sarah, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I want to double plug our Patreon. You know, I we do have cool stuff on there. Also, we would love some support so we can continue to interview these awesome therapists and continue to bring you all great content. You can find me at teletherapywithsarah.com. You can find my blog for working class and professional millennials at teletherapywithsarah.com forward slash blog. I post bi-weekly blog posts for working class slash professional millennials who have changed socioeconomic statuses or are struggling in their new professions. And my Instagram is also teletherapy with Sarah, where you will find weekly journal prompts and other fun psychoeducational stuff. See you there. Joanna, what about you? Yeah, I've got a website. It's called orianatherapy.com. Pretty cool. Um, That's about it. I don't have a very cool blog like Sarah does. Um, Maybe one day. Thank you for calling it cool. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time. (laughs) We We are are your therapist next door. door. I added a song. Bye. Bye.